This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> The moral of the story is, I chose a half measure when I should have gone all the way. I'll never make that mistake again. No more half measures. This week sees us mark the end of Better Call Saul, a show that is not only one of our favourites, with characters we love across two TV shows, but it is also why this podcast is called Half Measures. There is so much Better Call Saul to talk about this week, plus we've got a 90s movie of the week. We've got other things in between. It's a big show. It's a full measure. It's time to call in the big guns. It's Dan Whiting King. Dan, how are you feeling about the stuff that we have to talk about this week? I think this is going to be a a jam-packed agenda. Like I, I think we could almost do a whole episode on Better Call Saul, but it would. I I can't. I feel like I've got so much I want to talk about as well on top of that. So I think we're just going to have to. You know, roll up our sleeves, Paul, get involved, do what we can, bring out, like, I think it's timely as well. It's it's always a beautiful thing when we can kind of time the release of an episode to coincide with a final of such a a beautiful piece of art, like Better Call Saul. It is, it is great. I mean, it still feels so raw because we watched the finale of Better Call Saul less than, less than 24 hours ago. We just watched it last night. So, yeah. so it is, as you say, it is. Perfect timing. There is so much to talk about. We should probably jump in because at this stage, we're estimating this podcast will be in the region of three and a half to four hours long. Is that right? At least, at least that long. Okay, let's go then, Dan. What else have you been watching this week? Well, Paul, I've got a few things for you this week. So the first thing I'm bringing for you is a TV show on Disney+. Plus. It is another one of the Marvel TV shows. This one is the TV miniseries Miss Marvel. So this is a, a six-episode show, and it stars... Uh, it's kind of a, the introduction of a, a new a new character to the, the Marvel Universe, not new in a comic sense, but new in the TV sense. And so this particular um, character, her name is Kamala, and she's got a real kind of fascination with Captain Marvel. We've seen the Captain Marvel movies before. Um, and she sort of discovers through her through her lineage, she also has some some powers and kind of names herself Miss Marvel. This is a, a very fun, bright and vibrant uh, TV show. Six episodes, so a, a super easy watch. Kind of... It's getting pretty good reviews mostly. I think it's probably kind of targeted at a, a younger audience. And I think it's it's very much a, an origin story. It's very much sort of shown a sort of diversification of um, the wider Marvel Universe. It's very much kind of getting us set up for this, this next um, era of superheroes. And I think Kamala is a... She's she's fantastic. She is a, a great supporting cast. Um, in particular, um, Matt Lintz, who plays Bruno, and this is a great kind of you know every good superhero needs kind of a, a a nerdy psychic who can kind of make your gadgets and and work out all the technical stuff for you while you go out and sort of fight the supervillains. This is a, a a good and very fun watch, and I think another one that you could easily jump into even if you know sort of little to nothing about the Marvel Universe. In fact, I, I would imagine, Paul, this is probably one you could watch with your kids very easy. Amazing. Is there a universe that has more content than 
than this Marvel cinematic. It's all tied together. Is, can you think of anything right now off the top of your head that's bigger than this? It's so big and it's it's kind of it's so impressive, isn't it? Like when you think that they've kind of been building this since I think it's around two thousand and ten, like it's kind of, you know, twelve plus I guess when you think about so the production lead in times such a, a big universe and I think it's overwhelming on one hand because there's just so much and if you're sort of a, a real completionist you you probably want to consume it all for some people there's probably just too much and it will feel overwhelming but at the same time I do think they're making it quite easy for people to kind of jump on at a new level like there's nothing in this show that you really need to know like you don't even need to have seen the Captain Marvel movies like it might even inspire you to go and watch them but it's it's not a it's not a requirement and I think that's sort of the the magic of these films so if anything this is an entry point definitely and I think like this and I think what's really sort of cool about these uh, I was thinking about this the other day actually these Disney Marvel TV shows is they're on such a different tier to when I think about the you know the classic network TV superhero TV shows which are sort of bad guy of the week and a little bit cringe but generally these Disney um, Marvel TV shows are super high quality they they could have been movies Mm. they could have been TV shows they kind of go either way there's no expense spared and they just do such a a wonderful job of kind of onboarding you into the universe so this one was definitely uh it was good Uh, i don't think it was my favorite one that i've seen of the of the series i would probably say that still kind of sits with with one division but it's it's still good um i i'm glad to have watched it and i'm i'm keen to see more and presumably it will also tie into the next year's movie the big what is it the marvels um the one that's coming out feature length Look at you, Paul. You know, you know your Marvel stuff, don't you? So, so at the very end of this, it's, you know, most Marvel movies sort of normally give you a bit of a, a black title screen and a, you know, Miss Marvel will return in XXX. So Miss Marvel here will return in the Marvels, and we'll get to see her in a, a Captain Marvel movie, which is pretty awesome. Nice. And I see the writer; she's already got her hand in this universe with Loki. Um, she also was a writer on one of your favorite shows, Sex Education. And I see that the guy you mentioned, Bruno, uh, he's played by Matt Lintz. That's uh, Madison Lintz's brother, um, who plays Maddie in Bosch. Um, and he was also he, oh, he was Hen- he was Henry in The Walking Dead, another of our favorite shows. Oh well, that's um, I never made any of those connections, but that's incredible. That's what I'm here to do: bring it together as a good BA should. That's right. I think too the other thing that's kind of cool about Miss Marvel is, like, so Kamala is comes from like she's got a Pakistani background. That's she's sort of heavily kind of involved in her mosque, and it kind of just you know it's kind of brings in you know there's superheroes in the world. You've got this you know extra departments of government who are kind of like cracking down on people with powers. How that interacts with the people in the mosque and kind of that that community, and I think. If nothing else, like it's good to kind of see a, a wider palette of actors and backstories, and and they're not they're not all just generic white males. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's good. That's good. What else you got? All right, so that is on uh, Disney Plus, so you can check it out there. There's always uh, new Marvel content coming, but I've got one other TV show, Paul, and I think this one is going to be right up your alley. So this is on Apple TV. And this is called Slow Horses. So this is a this is this is, this is on my next playlist. It's amazing. Okay, okay. I will I will go very spoiler light so that we can sort of talk about it deeper once you've watched nice. it. But this 
this was a bit of a, a random choice for us. So, first of all, great cast. Gary Oldman, like, just just incredible. And so Slow Horses basically follows a, a team of British intelligence agents who serve as a dumping ground department of MI5 due to their career and their mistakes. And so you've basically got these MI5 uh, agents and operatives all working out of a place what they call Slough House, and they're there because they've they've made a big stuff up on a case. They've they've done something to embarrass um, the agency, and it's kind of one of those TV shows where being only six episodes long, it's like, I'm not sure where I would like. It's kind like it's a drama, it's a thriller, it's kind of a dark comedy, it's little bit sort of action-packed but and it kind of like tonally shifts all around the place but we put on episode one and we're kind of like the first 10 minutes absolutely hooked then we're kind of like oh it kind of changed pace and we're like oh is this, is this going to be good and then before you know it like over two nights we'd binge the whole thing and it was just such a a fantastic watch and there's already a, a season two in the works can't wait to see it I, I'm gonna really hold off because I want I want you to watch it, Paul, and then let's talk. Let's do a proper deep dive into That's it. That's great. I literally it was just during the week. Uh, it was Slow Horses and Severance. I was two shows I saw on Apple, and I added them both. Um, uh, one of which was a recommendation from Sado in our in our Discord community, and uh, Slow Horses. Uh, someone at work was talking about it, and I looked at it, and I thought, this is right up my alley. I mean, this is the sort of place I could end up. You know, I've embarrassed the agency. I've been sent off somewhere else. It sounds like it's right up my street. It's perfect for the Half Measures podcast. You know, like we could have been mainstream, but we're with this kind of niche podcast. It just kind of works in the background. Um, but it's, it's it's honestly it's like it's a really gripping story. It's got some fantastic kind of like spy like dialogue and terms and acronyms that you kind of just end up kind of googling. And it's a it's a show you kind of fall in love with with characters you fall in love with, and it's it's going to be great to talk about. And I think just in general. Because there's a there's a bit we've been checking out on Apple TV of late. The quality of their TV shows is really mm. good, and I think there may not necessarily be a lot on there, but the quality is high. It certainly is, and I will, next week I will be bringing one of the highest quality to the pod as well. Can I ask? Does Gary Oldman, because he he's the master of disguise, the master of voices. When I look at the picture and I look at the poster, in my mind, he's almost got like a brick top look from Snatch or something. He's almost talking like this. He's a bit of Cockney geezer or something. I don't know. He's like that. What, what voice has he got going on? You, you've kind of uh, nailed Lovely. it there. Like, he he is – and he, he's such a great character, right? Because he – not only is he the, the, the kind of head, he's the boss of Slough House – and he treats everyone like absolute garbage because they've they've made these big cock ups, and he never lets them forget that they're that they're a disaster and they're a disgrace. And he's so horrible to them all the time. And it's kind of it 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 feels like it needs a comedy tag, but there are some very dark things that happen on it. And I think when I think of British TV shows, this is this is a new one to add to the the favorite. Nice, yeah. No, it doesn't have a comedy tag on it, so that's interesting because yeah, the part of it screams comedy to me. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's let's lock in a, a bit of a deeper dive on that in the future, Dan. Awesome, and that is me apart from our our shared watches. So, what about yourself? Well, I this week have actually, I guess you could say, I've gone full quintessential pool this week. 
if there was like if there was like a persona of me i've ticked all the boxes to the point that it's almost cliche so i have two things i have a british police miniseries which i'll talk about in a minute um but first i it's been a while but i have dipped my hand into that lolly jar much to your um disdain i'm sure um and as always you never know quite what you're gonna get uh, so i watched a sci-fi movie from 1960 called beyond the time barrier um which is set in 1960 and it follows the the journey of this this uh, fighter pilot who gets caught in a time warp that propels him to the year 2024 so it's pretty much our time right now i mean what more do you even need to know disappointing what a disappointing time to come to <laughs> well you're you're in a pandemic like you've got the monkey pox you've got the coronavirus like oh God. i'm hearing more and more about the monkey pox all the time I'm... you you got you've got foot and mouth you, yep. you can't eat the beef like it's, it's all going on it, yeah it's a terrible time um so what can i say about it? i mean honestly the, the title of this and the B grade poster had me hooked before I even read the synopsis. And then when I True. when I saw that they were coming forward to 2024, I was like, oh yeah, definitely. I I love how they the literal, you know, the, the movie title of of the time, right on the nose. Nothing ambiguous or subtle, like literally beyond the time bearer. I love their vision in this movie of what 2024 might look like. That's what I was most fascinated to see. So even in the 60s they had ideas of what it might be like now that aren't too far away. So like they've got CCTV on street corners. It's really accurate, but they've got, instead of like small little subtle cameras, they've got these massive, huge cameras on all the corners. You know, they got that bit wrong. So the idea is right, but the look wasn't quite there. All the windows, all the TV screens are, are triangular in shape. Um, it's it's just an absolutely fascinating watch. I love this sort of movie, B grade sci-fi. No one in the future can work out where he's come from. He can't figure out where he is. The old airfield that he took off from in this superpowered jet is still there, but it's just a mess. Um, no one trusts him. Uh, they think he's a spy. They can't believe where he's from. He can't believe it's sixty four years in the future. So no one believes anyone. It's it's a really great time sci-fi. B movie. I mean, it's always hard to criticize a movie that is what 62, 62 years old with any objectivity. Um, but there were definitely some less than A list actors in this movie, uh, and there were times where the lines appeared to be delivered almost incorrectly or, or stuttering. And there were you could just imagine the director just like, God, just keep going, just keep going, it's good enough, sort of thing. Um, it's the quality of the effects. Even relative to stuff at the time, like, um, I don't know, this is six years before Star Trek and it looks much, 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 much older. Um, but hey, it's low budget. It's B-movie. And for me, that just adds to the appeal. And as I've said before, when I've reviewed old stuff, it's always you forgive the effects. You let a lot of things go because no one, no one presses play on these movies looking for high quality acting effects. The reason you press play is because you just want to see the imagination and the story and the adventure and the sheer fun of it. And that's why I enjoyed this one quite a fair bit. How did this one make it onto your radar? Or was this just kind of a, the, the poster appealed and kind of thought, I'll check this one out? Or have you sort of known about this? No, one? I have never heard of this movie at all. Every now and then when I'm, you know, this is, this is a train watch for me. So if I'm on the train, I typically am going to watch something, which I think no one else will want to watch with me. And this would definitely tick this bill. I don't think I know anyone barely who would want to watch this one with me um and so i just i always end up going to prime video because they have the best back 
catalogue of old movies. The best lollies. The best lollies. If, if you want lollies, you go to Amazon. I tell you, they've got some absolute... And it's just, you just spoilt for choice for just posters. And I, I don't even look at the words on the right-hand side. I just look at the posters on the left and I'm like, what is that? And then sometimes it's just not at all. But yeah, trapped in the incredible cosmic world that moves 100 years beyond time. I can't resist it's definitely a great poster. I, I will give you that. Like, I think on poster alone, it would probably earn a click. I don't know whether I'd be able to sacrifice an hour and 14 minutes towards it. But, you know, full respect to you, Paul, for, for dipping your hand back in the jar. And it's I know you enjoy it, and that's, that's all that matters. Correct. And look, if you do like old sci-fi movies, step right up. If it's not, probably move along. Well, I, there's probably a real cult following at some of these movies, right? Like it's like the reviews, okay? Like on IMDb, like it's sitting at about a five point three. Um, like it's, I'm sure there's there's some some quirky great things going on here, and I think, I, I think it would be it would be great to actually have a collection of some of these old movie posters because they're just so like, I love how they just give you so much extra information from a movie poster compared to if today. you scroll down on that page on IMDb to the more like this, and you've got. The Man oh, from yeah. Planet X, World Without End, The Amazing Transparent Man, all of those posters, all of those titles, everything. For me, I just look at that and I just think, okay, that's, you know, I'm on the train pretty much an hour and a half, hour and 45 a day. And I'm like, that's, I can watch that. That's, that's me tomorrow when I go into work or whatever. It is. And so for me, it's uh, just every now and then I just need to go back and revisit some old stuff. I love it. It's good. It's good. Very good. Uh, and the other thing, um, other than uh, other two joint watches, Dan, is I watched, as I said, you know, quintessential me, a British police drama called The Tower, um, which actually season one of this came out last year. Um, and the synopsis here, uh, a veteran cop and a teenage girl fall to their deaths from a from a tower block in South East London leaving a five-year-old boy and rookie police officer on the roof only for them to go missing. Um, and it really goes from there. And I, what I loved about this, I mean, I, as I say, I can never resist a, a police drama if it's you know got all the boxes ticked for me. And this one was only three episodes as well. So, you know, you could sort of watch all three episodes in less than three hours. It's a really interesting angle this this series it has an element of line of duty about it so they're kind of you know we're talking about this crime you know these people have fallen to their death but it's looking closely at the police officers who may be involved in the crime and trying to solve it whilst also figuring out their actions um very easy watch good solid cast performances very very strong in particular um from the actress um tahira sharif who played um pc lizzie adama she was probably the standout for me decent production values the story was a good plot and premise but there wasn't enough i don't know there wasn't enough meat on the bones you know it was like a it was like a low carb burger i'm still hungry and i'm annoyed because it cost me the same as it would for a normal burger is how i feel it just wasn't quite enough in it Mm, that's a shame I can see like I can see why just looking at some of the images and even the poster like it has got all of the components I think like you say it's got a line of duty or a broad church kind of vibe and I'm a really big fan of uh, Gemma Whelan who she was uh, Yara Greyjoy in Game of Thrones always I think does the fantastic work maybe uh, it kind of because you know what sometimes these 
um, British TV shows are like. Sometimes they kind of the first season they kind of get their their footing, and then they really kind of crank it up for the the next couple of seasons. Yeah. So maybe there's still there's still hope to be found. Yeah, and that's that is exactly what I'm um, going to be doing is hanging on to that because it's interesting you mentioned Gemma Whedon because she's very good actress as well. But I didn't like the personality of her character, and she was she's she's the lead detective, so she plays DS Collins, and it's kind of like that's annoying as well because you want to like. You know, the person that's leading the case. It would be like watching Line of Duty and you and you didn't like Steve Arnott or you didn't like Kate Fleming. It would be really sort of it's less easy to connect to it. And her her character does go on an arc, but by the end of it, she's set up to do something different in season two. So that was good. It almost made me feel, oh, okay, they've deliberately written her like that because it was it was really hard to connect to her. But um what's interesting is the writer of this I was having a look at it. She is a former police detective herself, and she actually worked for um, for homicide and serious crime. And it's also interesting because this story was thought by many of the public to be based on an actual murder that happened in very recent times. So it was kind of a bit, there was a bit of tabloid stuff about this in the UK apparently at the time. But um, I like the fact that it's been written by someone who's been there and done it. But that almost makes it... Um, to because maybe they've written it so realistically maybe it's a bit mm. too bland mm. you know my burger's not spicy enough now dan and there's no there's no real i guess there's no real villain or bad guy in this and it's kind of um uh it, there's no sort of exciting motive by the people connected to the crime it's just very very real and sometimes real doesn't actually make for the most exciting story yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Well, ho- hopefully it gets better. I think this one thing actually, just to kind of diverge also just back into Slow Horses from a moment, and then thinking about shows like The Tower and Broadchurch, and even shows like Luther, is there something always so different about watching something uh, UK-based versus kind of American, particularly in that police space? Because I always find it's, and this is probably highly offensive to to Americans but I feel like because in, like, in America or any American TV show it's almost like your default action and any kind of tension is to pull your pull your weapon yeah. whereas in UK cop shows like it's it's such a last resort and even um, in Slow Horses like very rarely did a gun get pulled out unless it was an extreme situation like like chases fights happen well and it's always like I think it just creates different drama and I think there is always an element, I think, in police shows where you do need a bit of spice to keep it interesting. And if it's too kind of procedural, yeah, it kind of doesn't always hook you in, does That's it? right. And I think the exception to that that you and I have talked about many times is Bosch because it does, it dances that line really well of methodical, procedural. Mm. And I think that's why if I was to give you my top 10 t- uh, police shows, I could do it right now. And I think eight of them would be British and the only two that would be Bosch and Colombo. That would be, that would be it for the States. Or, or... Do you walk around with like a Rolodex of top tens for all sorts of different things in your mind just at any given time, just in case someone says you're all right, top 10 police shows go, go my then son. I, I'm not old enough to have Rolodex, but I do have them all on my phone. Of course. Of course. Of course. No, I, I do. I do so, have a good, a good hand on my top tens. Whereabouts are you watching the tower? You might've said that already. Yeah. So that's a uh, TVNZ plus here in New Zealand. Um, and like you say, there's enough there to say, you know, I'll definitely be back for season two. It's got my attention. I'm interested in these characters. Um, and yeah, like you say, I don't need a bit of, I don't need Michael Bay levels of action, but, um, mm. but yeah, if police, we'll get to that if, yeah, if police dramas, uh, are not your genre, I think there are better options to look at before you come to the tower. But if like me, you've seen them all, I'd say dive in. 
Is season two out here yet? No, in fact, they haven't even started filming it, but it has been confirmed and it's slated for next year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great, great, great. Oh, well, that's uh, good to know. Always good to know another um, British British cop TV show. But I think you're right. That's good advice. Like, this probably isn't one you want to start with. No, no, this is if you you really get into it, then, then go for it. But otherwise, start with Broadchurch, Line of Duty, Luther, or Happy Valley. Speaking of um, a good meaty burger, shall we jump into the, the TV show of the century? Yes, indeed. Beautiful soul. The second half of season six, the second half of the final season of the Better Call Saul series, the the final episodes, we're led to believe at this stage at least, of this entire Breaking Bad universe that goes all the way back to 2008. So we've had a good 14-year run of two TV shows and one movie there is there is so much to dive in here dan for once i've got us a bit organized and i've listed like about six or seven bullet points i think we should definitely cover off and if there's anything else we can cover we can go for it but what's your what's your initial your observations your initial thoughts um i think just sort of reflecting on the better call soul journey i remember when the show was first announced and i was definitely one of those people being like Really? Is is this the character we want to know more yeah. about? Like, and I, I remember being a bit of a naysayer and being like, I don't know if we need it. And even kind of, and I know a few people have been down this path. They struggled with the first couple of seasons because it was very differently paced to Breaking Bad. But this for me has probably become one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and I think surpasses Breaking Bad for me. Mm. Um, but in saying that, they're, they're kind of a package, so it's kind of it does come with a few um, kind of like fine fine print details. And I think what again, like the second half of this season, so different to the to part A, um, was, was sort of so differently kind of paced. I think for me to to part B, but what a fantastic ending! Because on paper, I feel like the show almost shouldn't have worked. Yeah. Like such a smash hit with Breaking Bad, then to pick on a character that was kind of not a, not a major character in Breaking Bad. He, like you said, was pretty big, but... And then to kind of, like, deliver six six seasons of this TV show is just incredible. And I think, you know, Vince Gilligan and, and Peter Gold have just done such a, a fantastic job with this universe. Bob Odenkirk's absolutely nailed it. Um, Rhea Seahorn, just Jonathan Banks, it, like, it's, it's the perfect storm of everything I would have wanted from a, a prequel to Breaking Bad. I echo everything you say, and, and it's interesting because, as you, as you say, by the time you finish Breaking Bad and you hear about the spin-off, if you'd asked me at the time, there's no way this show is going to surpass it. There's no way, feasibly, that it can do that because they've said it before uh, we meet Walter and Jesse, so it cannot be better. And yet I, you know, since you called me out on being top 10, you know, Rolodex, uh, this is number two on my top 10 and I put it ahead of Breaking Bad at number three so that's how highly both of them rate in my all time top 10 TV shows of all time so number one's Picard or Dan very close because it does star Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard but it is Star Trek The Next Generation 1987 Ah, Um, is still there at number one at this point but who knows Um, yeah I um, I think I think you've you've let us in quite well and giving a shout out to Vince and Peter straight away is uh, I, I love that Vince. So the first thing I was going to say, we'll cover off was the production, the geeky stuff. Cause I love, it. I love 
that Vince Gilligan wrote and directed um, the penultimate episode um, because he doesn't always get involved. You know, he's, he's, he's the creator, he's overseeing it, he's part of the writing team, but he doesn't always come to the fore. And so to have him write and direct the penultimate was good. And then to have Peter Gould write and direct the finale, I thought was I thought that was the right thing to do because Vince Gilligan, of course, is the creator of Breaking, Breaking Bad, um, but the two of them created Better Call Saul and it has always really been Peter Gould's baby and I think it was uh, poignant that he got the final the final episode and that, that one we probably need to talk about um, a little bit. The other thing I found watching this from a production point of view, I found it quite poignant watching this knowing that midway through the filming of this, of course, at some point Bob Odenkirk would have had his his, his, his cardiac arrest or his heart attack or whatever he had. You know, it was kind of... Um, just there was moments where I'm thinking, oh, you know, I wonder if it was now. I wonder if it was now. It was just like amazing that he came back and was able to do, you know, finish the rest of this. It's yeah, I, I think you're right. It's it is incredible. Like imagine if something terrible had happened and he wasn't able to finish this TV show. Like I, I listened to the medical saw inside a podcast as I've talked about before, and they talked on that about what it was like on stage filming when when it happened to Bob and Vince Gilligan in particular on the podcast was quite emotional and saying that he, he, he said that he literally was stood there and he witnessed Bob Odenkirk die in front of his eyes. And he just, he just said, he wasn't even thinking about the show. He was, they were, they were following the ambulance to the hospital and his mind, the show's done. Yeah, we're never going to be able to do the show. Um, and that he's just appreciated every day since more than he ever could have done before because he, he mm-hmm. saw it happen. And I can't even imagine what that must be like to, to see that. And I think, you know, what's been kind of just so interesting about this the second half of the season is I feel like we, we kind of, when I think about season six, the part A was very much kind of like it was so intense and we were dealing with a lot of the cartel and Lalo was kind of like, you know, hunting down people. And then the second half almost kind of like, you know, turned the tempo down and kind of just slowed things right down. We had a lot of black and white and the black and white just kind of gave a whole new energy to this TV show that just did something so magical. Like if you'd said to me, oh, let's do some black and white episodes, you'd always be like, why? Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> but it, it just kind of it worked so well and it really helped kind of as a viewer Set whether you were kind of in in the current state or whether you were looking back in time, it was just such a, a clever little trick. Yeah, no, it really was. And to anyone who hasn't watched it and doesn't plan to, just so you, so you know, every season of Better Call Saul starts with the first uh, the first scene before the opening credits. So only three or four minutes, maybe you know, maybe a bit more of 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 uh, Saul in the future beyond Breaking Bad. Um, when following the events of that TV show in black and white under his new identity of Gene. And then it jumps back to Better Call Saul, which is set before Breaking Bad. So you always get a little bit of the future, like five minutes each season. And that's all you've ever, that's all we've been given. And as you say, Dan, in this, this second part of season six, we're getting full episodes of Gene in the future. And I want to talk about that, um, in a moment as well, but I thought then what might be useful for us so we can get it out the way, because um, we may talk about these characters when we're when we're discussing things, is actually talk about the cameos because because this is a cake that we're already enjoying eating, and now the icing on the cake is some um, extraordinary cameos. Where do you want to start? 
we could just pick any, pick any of them. Pick, pick, pick your favourites. Well, Brian Cranston returning as Walter White obviously is an, an obvious place to start. And for me, I don't know. I just am amazed at how easily he slipped back into that role because it's and it's unbelievable to think that. He hasn't played Walter White, you know, since Breaking Bad finished in 2013. Okay, so he played him for like five minutes in that cameo in El Camino. But it's nearly 10 years, and it's like he never went away. I think, too, like Brian Cranston just feels to me like you were doing Malcolm in the Middle, <laughs> and like, and then you would, like, I know there's other stuff that happened between this, but like, then all of a sudden you're like a god tier actor doing Breaking Bad, and you've just stayed at that level ever since. And I just think there seems to be so much respect for him as a as an actor and and what he did for that role and the fact that he I think he can come on to a show like Better Call Soul and kind of share the screen but still have the the limelight is a, a very special thing. It is, and he does it so effortlessly as well. And just everything, all the little things, the mannerisms of Walter was spot on. And what I appreciated the most, I think, is how how uh, how well dialed in he is to where in that character's journey he is mm-hmm. so timing wise he needs to make sure that he's not because he's played Walter White, but he needs to make sure he doesn't go too far down the Heisenberg path and that he's 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 more Walter you know he's still inquisitive he's still he's still twitchy Walter and um you know he's obviously at the point where he's lost his hair in fact on that note I thought the head uh looked this his head looked to be shaved this time after some of the criticism of the fake bald cap from mm. El Camino but yeah um, and then of course pairing him up with uh, Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman um, he was spot on as well and I guess we've seen that more recently with El Camino which was only a couple of years ago and so we've seen him at length more recently so I never doubted for a second that he would he wouldn't be spot on as as Jesse Pinkman but um, of course that didn't stop some critics pointing out ah oh, why is Jesse not 20 years old anymore? You know, some people f- seem to forget about the passage of time. Mm-hmm. It, just so good, I think. Brian Cranston made it. I think Aaron Paul as Jesse just coming back. Just And just, it wasn't ever overused. It always right. felt like it was just the right amount. And I think such a great comment too that it's not just about stepping back into the, the shoes of Walter White or Jesse Pinkman. It has to be done in the context of where we're up to in the in the timeline. Right. And there are so many different mannerisms. Nothing, you know, like you're right, like Walter in particular, like he's always a bit of an a-hole when you sort of go back and watch Breaking Bad. But, you know, he's, he's lovable. But he really does go on that journey, right, from when he's still just trying to provide for his family to making that shift to actually, I'm on to something here, I'm, I'm, I'm Heisenberg. Like, those are very different personas that he brings yeah. about, and I think balancing that is a, a work of art in itself. I also love how they gave us, um, uh, as you said, they didn't do it too much because that would have been, you know, I think that would have taken away from the actual journey we've been on with with Saul and Kim or Jimmy and Kim, I should say, for, for six years. But, you know, they gave us they gave us one episode where we had Walter and Jesse together. And then we also had uh, an individual episode where we had a, a bit of Jesse Pinkman with, with Kim Wexler. And then, of course, the finale where we have a bit of Walter White with, with Saul Goodman. And um, very impressive as well. They kept it secret for a long time. Um, so these scenes I was reading were shot in mid-2021. So well over a year ago. 
And apparently they stayed in Albuquerque for four days at an Airbnb. They had all the wardrobe and all the makeup brought to them. And then they would be taken away in vehicles undercover to suit, to shoot on site and then taken back to the Airbnb. I mean, I, w- I would love to have just said the Airbnb filmed as a documentary just to see what it would have been like to have been in there in, in that place with, with Brian and Aaron. It's amazing. I think too, like there's there's so many other great sort of cameos throughout this as well, and I think some of them stretch far beyond actual cameos. Like some of these actually become sort of core core characters in the backstory of um, of Soul. But I think in the in the final episode in particular, I didn't kind of appreciate. Well, I didn't realize how much I actually appreciated seeing. Um, Betsy Brandt back as, as Marie Schrader, yeah. like kind of a bit of a, not nothing character, but a bit of a, like I, I never sort of had any questions about like what, what she was up to post this universe, but it was kind of so good to actually be reminded of she's lost her husband. She's lost her brother-in-law. Like she's, she's lost a lot to um, this whole kind of Heisenberg um, drug empire. And even though we only sort of got her for a, a sort of brief component it, w- it was very grounding to be back in that Breaking Bad universe and it felt very comfortable to be back in there and I, I enjoyed learning more about characters that I didn't think I necessarily needed, needed to know more about. No, that's right. I, If you'd asked me, oh, who else do I think might show up, I don't think I ever ever would have thought that we'd be having Marie Schrader back in the series. It just didn't didn't feel like it. And, but, of course, we, we had... Uh, it was a nice touch because we had Hank Schrader earlier in the earlier seasons of Medical Saw, and of mm. course, as you say, she lost Hank. Um, he was, you know, he was shot by that guy Jack, who was one of those neo Nazis at the end of uh, the, you know, the Breaking Bad time. And um, but of course, Saul was around in those days, and he knew what was going on, and he was he was you know laundering all of Walter's money. So no wonder she held that against him. So it was well used, and again, it wasn't overused. Um, so that was that was great. The other, I think the f- the final one to to make note of was um, having Michael McKean return as Chuck, um, which I thought was a really nice touch because you know how you sort of said how you watched the first season of Medical Saw and you're like, oh, is this is you know it's a different pace, it's going in a different direction. I remember at that point I wasn't sure about I wasn't sure about Howard Hamlin and I wasn't sure about Chuck McGill uh, or any of them at, at HHM and and yet as time went on those characters grew into people that I, I love watching week in week out and yeah we haven't seen Chuck since 2018 and and really I always think that everything about the character of Saul came about as a result of Chuck with no Chuck there's no Jimmy he doesn't become Saul he doesn't go and work with Walter White and Walter White doesn't become what he does so it's all down to Chuck I think you're right and I think this was I'm kind of in the same boat I think it was the whole kind of Chuck story that kind of was putting me off Biddical Soul to start with and and I just know so many people who haven't made it past the first or second season that when I say to them this is truly a a TV show that's as good as if not better than in some episodes of of Breaking Bad that they almost can't believe it they're like how does it sort of change so much but I think this is where the beauty of this TV show comes in like this is slow burn this is going back in time this is the journey of the downfall of Jimmy McGill and and ultimately his redemption and it's that it takes six seasons to go on this journey it, it really does and I was just looking at the ratings by season and season one Meta Cricket is 78 but after that two through to six 
um, the ratings go from 85 to 94 and the Rotten Tomatoes for by season by season is 97, 97, 98, 99, 99, 99. And it's, it's so, yeah, I think season one catches you off guard, but um, yeah, if, 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 if that was you come back because the thing is when you see Chuck in this episode, it's just great just to have him there just for a flashback scene. Um, the character of Lydia, Dan, uh, who was the businesswoman that um, in Breaking Bad that goes up against Mike, she, um, Laura Fraser, the actress who plays her, was unable to return because at the time of COVID and travel restrictions, she was in Scotland, couldn't go back to the US, but there was actually a storyline they wanted to have her, her come back in as well because that was always an interesting um, part of the the Baking Bad universe as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of cool cameos, not overdone. I think we kind of expected that we were going to get something because we knew we were going to cross into that timeline. Um, but, yeah. Well, I feel like I kind of long prophesied and it never came true that I thought and we were going to get a, a season six scenario where Jesse Pinkman was going to come into the mall and see soul in the Cinnabon and I always kind of like thought that was going to be a way that there'd be some cross interaction but it's it never came true but I think obviously what they've done is far better than just the the mere musings of uh, Daniel White and King indeed um the next bullet point I've written down Dan I've written down Ken Wexler post Jimmy and the breakup itself so the, the the breakup itself off the back of season six part one with Lalo turning up at the house and just just as we talked about uh, probably a few months back just taking Howard out on the spot um uh, that whole breakup that whole uh came very very quickly sort of saying we're we're no good for each other and then leaving and then all of a sudden we skip forward in time to Saul midway through Breaking Bad which I never could have predicted and I assume at that point Kim is nowhere to be seen and that's the last we're going to see of her because she's not in Breaking Bad um, and they they just they just fell out I think that would almost be the, the where my most questions kind of sit because I think they were always kind of an odd couple to start with uh, Jimmy and yeah. Kim and I think as an audience member you really grew to love Kim Wexler and everything that she kind of stood for and she kind of was the the more pure good um compared to someone yeah. like Jimmy and I enjoyed kind of even her journey of actually going down a bit of a dark path and you know ultimately breaking it off with Jimmy because it almost brought out things that she didn't want kind of brought out in her personality but I guess what was interesting is when they kind of parted ways you could tell she was just so deeply unhappy with this new you know, very simple, very plain life that she was living. And interesting, like, you know, because as a, as a character, she couldn't live with the guilt. She she needed to kind of close out some of those things, but really at the sacrifice of her own happiness. Um, and, like, she could have kind of had her, had her cake and eaten it too, to be honest. Yeah, and they, 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 they made it very deliberate how you've put it there, not happy with a normal life. You know, she, her sandwiches were plain, her work office environment was as mundane. I mean, it was like a scene out of Dunder Mifflin. Um, her, you know, her, her, her fashion suddenly had just changed from stylish clothing to, you know, quite, quite mundane, plain. Her, her hairstyle became very unfashionable, dare I say. Um, there was just a number of things that just pointed to 
you know, she's not who she, you know, obviously time has gone past and people have got older, but, you know, that's not the future that any of us would have predicted for Kim Wexler. Kim Wexler was always the smartest lawyer in this TV show, give or take maybe Chuck. She was the smartest lawyer, the most onto it lawyer, the most proficient and all the rest of it. If anything, she should have been the CEO of a major law firm in the US. In a way, we're, we're kind of lucky because I think a lot of predictions were actually around Kim was going to meet her demise yes, that's in, right. in the season of Better Call Saul. And to a degree, she, she kind of has, but not in a, a physical sense. So, you know, she's no longer got this amazing law career. She's no longer kind of like sought after to be, you know, one of the the top lawyers for a, a new firm. She's, she's, she's lost it all. Um, but she's kind of cleared her conscience in the process. And I think there was something so kind of poetic about the, the final scenes that um, Kim and Jimmy kind of share together, particularly again with the kind of the lighting and the almost kind of that noir type look where there's kind of the, there's the shadow of the, the jail bars yes. and kind of sharing one last cigarette, almost kind of how their, their journey sort of started over a cigarette and just kind of contemplating the, the events that have kind of played out over what, it's quite a short amount of time, and that was, I think, one of the things that kind of um, threw me a little bit because, you know, we've obviously been on the, the Breaking Bad slash Better Call Soul journey for 10 years of our lives, but the actual time period of the, the Heisenberg reign, they sort of talk about this 18 months to two-year period, yeah. but, you know, in, in my mind, it's gone on that's for great. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. Also, good observation about the the sharing of the cigarette. That was the thing they did in season one, episode one, was downstairs in the in the basement of the car park sharing a cigarette and the final the final scene, which um, I guess we'll talk about a bit more in the final episode, but poignant again with the cigarette. Did you spot as well the the, the lit part of the cigarette was orange, was the only colour? That's um, right. Oh, yeah. So well nicely, done. Sort of like a uh, Schindler's List type effect, just having one thing mm. come out in colour. One thing, though, that this season taught me and it was it was it hurt learning it is how much I actually dislike Saul Goodman um and when they fell out the divorce scene really hurt I was really disliking Saul at that point and and I guess what it what it's taught me just as we talked about with Walter White is that you know I I really I love Jimmy McGill you know, I really don't like Saul Goodman as a person. I thought I liked Gene, and we'll come to Gene in a minute, but you know, he fell off the wagon, and then I started to really dislike him. Um, but really, Jimmy McGill is who I like. I can't stand this Saul Goodman. It's funny you say that, because I, well, I was reminded in this final of how much actually dis unlikable Walter White is as a character and how kind of arrogant and angry he is. And I, I think I'm much more kind of at peace with Jimmy or soul and I, I kind of love it because he's actually so smart and I think that's kind of the thing like he's not just kind of like yes he's a bit of a schmuck and he's you know got his park bench signs and terrible ads and he's kind of a bit of an ambulance chaser but he's actually in, incredibly smart oh, yeah. and I think that's the difference between him and, and the kind of almost the character that he portrays and he's always kind of like one step ahead and even in this final episode like he he negotiates all his time down to to seven years with weekly tubs of ice cream, and <laughs> you know, there's just like only Saul Goodman could do yeah. that. Oh, absolutely, he absolute genius in that respect. And and when I look back on the series, not just the season, but the series as a whole, when I think about what I've enjoyed the most, putting aside other characters like Mike and Gus and so on, um, 
it's actually always been the Jimmy and Kim relationship and the and the scams and working a meeting someone at a bar and just looking at each other and going should we do it and just playing them always you know being able to get out of situations that they've got no right to get out of um just through sheer ingenuity and patience and you know all of those things um dan i feel like we're gonna have to move along because we've, i've got four more bullets what about lalo and gus fring those two you know, hate each other. There could only ever be one winner. We knew who it was going to be because we've already seen Breaking Bad. But what an absolutely incredible storyline that whole that you know once 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 you know we've we've come back into the season. Howard's gone, and now Lalo he's fully after Gus. That 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 first couple of episodes was astonishing. I love Lalo as a bad guy. I think he's so, he's so kind of likable. Yeah. And his, he's kind of got this great welcoming yep. smile that kind of makes you trust them, but he's completely crazy at the same time. And he will, he will stone cold kill you with, without a second 100%. thought. And I think again, like he's just another kind of great, um, different type of villain from Gus Frank because Gus is very much trying to sort of maintain the persona of American businessman, keeping his, you know, all these businesses going, helping out in the community, trying to grow a drug empire. And, Everything like he'll do anything to protect that. Whereas um, Lalo is he's old school and he's he just comes from such a different world and he's come to he's come to right some wrongs and I think it was just such a he played I think he added the perfect amount of tension to the last couple of seasons. Oh, really did like when they introduced him right from the start when he he turns up at Nacho's or he's you know, he's cooking and he's singing at that girl you're like who is this crazy cat but he is. He's patient. He is methodical. He be, he became this character that was way more intelligent than I expected. And what it meant was that because Gus Fring is the most intelligent person across probably the the, the whole two seasons, and if, if finally we had a bit of a match for Gus, someone who could almost almost outthink him. Because, and that's pretty much the case with Breaking Bad as well. Because until we got to the finale and Hector and Walter between the two of them found a way to take him out at some cost. Um, he's always been one step ahead of everyone. And Lalo just with that Tony Dalton smile, just so likable. And like that one where he's in the sewer and he's just like in the, you know, looking through the thing, just watching for hours to see the movement of the people and what's going on at this laundry. It's just, it's, it's brilliantly done. Mm. Well, uh, Lalo will put in the work. You know, he'll he'll do what needs to be done to get the job yep. done. So, yeah, that's incredible. And I really thought it was poignant how it was Gus that was the one that took him out because we always knew Lalo wasn't going to make it. Lalo exists because of a throwaway line that um, was used in Breaking Bad, and they played on that when they had the cameo flashback again around the Lalo. That's the only reason he exists is because of that line, and he. Um, yeah, he just became this this incredible enemy, and to have Gus be the one that took him out uh, was was point as well. And then, just quickly on Gus as well, Gus Fring. Just once Lila was out the way, there was this very brief moment where he lets his guard down, and we see for like I think maybe a four or five minute scene of Gus Fring relaxed, not being this head of the cartel, and then suddenly he puts his what do you call you know his his defense is back up and he walks out of the scene and we don't see him again 
Mm. I think you're right. Like, again, just so well played. And I think this is where you kind of needed Lalo to apply the tension because we couldn't have too much Gus Fring because he is such a controlled character. And to see him letting guard down is, is, again, just something kind of enjoyable because he's maintained such a a calm presence for across both shows. I think the the other character that I just love spending more time with is the patron saint of the Half Mistress podcast, uh, Mike Garentrout, Jonathan Banks. Just I just loved just getting more time with with that character, particularly around um, I think his his journey, sort of you know his, his love hate sort of friendship with Soul, the way that he kind of supported Gus, even kind of his kind of redemption arc of you know the, in that final episode, very much sort of heavily focused on sort of the that time machine concept and what would you do differently and and Mike's was such a, a humble answer of going like I would have never taken that first bribe and just sort of thinking about those those kind of sliding doors moments yep. that really changed your life and I think you know Jonathan Banks has just done such a a wonderful job of playing this super smart super savvy old old timer crooked cop and it's it's just been wonderful it's, it's such a good observation because when we talk about this universe you know we we talk about Saul we talk about Kim Walter Jesse uh all of the people and yet if you were to say to me right now across the two series who's my go-to character you know it's Mike and I think we've talked about this before when we did our you know favorite tv characters of all time it's just there's something about Mike that's just irresistible to watch and yeah I really appreciated his time machine answer as well that showed him he's always been the most human the most you know uh the most likable because everyone in the show has done something wrong right no one is without and, mm. and yet he's the one that if I had to line them all up he'd be the one that I'd say okay walk away you, you're good you know Mm. no more half no measures. more half measures um someone who's not been so good of course is the the main guy who we haven't really talked too much about i guess but saul goodman jimmy mcgill we see for the first time as i said in this season gene in exquisite detail black and white episodes at length full episodes and the only time they go to color is when they flash back to other time periods which is brief but I'd never anticipated, as you said, that we would have all this time with Gene in the future, post-Breaking Bear, to see what his life has become. Essentially a recluse, somewhat depressed, um, living a life of solitude and silence and just being careful to cover his tracks everywhere. And then all of a sudden, that goes out the the window and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're working with a character who's now going slipping back into Jimmy. Well, I think too, and I think this sort of really played out in this final episode is, you know, he may be a super smart lawyer. He may sort of know every kind of game in the book and he may sort of be a a few steps ahead of everyone. But one thing he's not very good at, Paul, is staying out of sort of those those bad habits and he's not very good at going on the run. Like he was caught so quickly when it came down to it. Like it was almost kind of embarrassing. Like when you think about how clever he is and how – careful and cautious that he's been and if it wasn't for kind of his own kind of almost kind of like ego and boredom and just wanting to prove to himself that he can he can still do it he, he could have still been a oh, free yeah. man he, he definitely could have and i guess he had to cover up some tracks because of course you know this 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 season starts off with the you know he's got to deal with the people who know who he is he's got to he's got to take care of that and you know and that was how the whole shopping mall department store stealing clothes 
episode came about where they're you know they're looking at the security cameras and and the cinnabons and how long does it take the security guard to eat a cinnabon and so that we can have his back to the security cameras all of those things um but even at that point once he'd done that he could have left it at that point because you know he sort of said you guys are now whatever the legal term was you know you've done these things and you if i report you we're all going to jail so you can't report me now he could have walked away at that point but even then even then he couldn't but those episodes were great because as i said before those are some of the best moments of the show where you just get to witness how he's planning out in detail the timings the number of paces across a thing how long it takes a guy to eat a cinnabon uh, what time do, do the guards change rotation or, or the all of those things those are the things i love about this show well, that, that's kind of the, the premise of the whole yeah. show, right? And even across Breaking Bad, like it's attention to detail and it's that detail matters and that sometimes the smallest things have the the biggest kind of butterfly effect through the rest of the universe and through the show. Yeah. The, the thing is, when he goes too far, and this is going back to why I realised I don't like Saul Goodman and I started to not like Gene, like so the, 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 the stealing clothes thing is fine, but like the one where he's doing this other gig where he's getting rich people drunk and then putting him in a taxi and then drugging them. And that's a side of him that I just I just don't like. And then, of course, when uh, he gets caught out by what's the, the, the mum, played, of course, by the very famous Carol Burnett from Annie, she, she when she figures out Marianne. who he is, um, there's a moment where he's walking towards her and he's got the, the cord in his hands. And I'm actually thinking, I've lost track of who this guy is so much that I don't actually trust that he's not going to kill her right now. Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, another great moment in that sort of character arc, right, of is is Saul Goodman or Jimmy or, you know, is he reaching a whole new low that he's, he's never never reached yeah. before? Like, yes, people have been killed as a result of some of the actions he's taken, but for him to, if he had physically taken that one more step, things would have been so different from him. He, he, he probably would have ended in a, in a bloodbath scene, almost like kind of like Walter yeah. White, but I think it's because he didn't do that that he he kind of redeemed himself as a character in my eyes. Yeah, I think he did redeem himself um, at, in the end because um, for me, if, you know, if we're coming into the ending, I think in the finale we actually get a fourth iteration of his identity because mm. we've gone for you know from from slipping jimmy jimmy mcgill and and saul goodman and, and gene and now once he comes clean about everything he says i'm james mcgill and so now he's you know he hasn't got the hairpiece he hasn't got the mustache he's, he's he looks different to even looks different to gene he looks different to any time we've seen him at any point across these two tv shows and this is the one where he's he drops all the acts, all of the, he's got no more plays up his sleeve. He's finally demonstrating this, this self-awareness and uh, of what he is, who he's done, how he's done it, what, what he's done and what he's lost. That's the crucial bit, what he's lost as a result. And like you said, the last bit of Saul was getting him down to seven years, but then James McGill emerges and suddenly he's going away for 80 odd years, whatever. 86 years and I think yeah I think and even then like when he goes off to to jail the fact that he's kind of like recognized by all of the other inmates as as Jimmy's kind of again like he could have had a real hard time in jail but he's he's almost you know returning a hero pointing at people like yeah I'm back (laughs) 
and you could imagine like and I, I don't think this would ever happen but like you know he would probably go on to have like even though it will be a horrible life in prison he'll be a, a hero of that prison because he'll be giving legal advice he'll be no doubt involved in additional like scams and, and weird little activities and things and and because he's yes he's James from the redemption point of view but I think there'll be components of those other personas that would come out in that sort of that prison sure. life because he he's going to be bored he's he's going to get up oh yeah trouble. I mean there's a TV show right there right I mean we'll come on to that subject as well but um I think actually the gene persona was never something that he chose to be or wanted to be that was a necessary thing because he was on the run after the the events of Breaking Bad with Walter he had to become Gene but he was Jimmy he chose to become Saul and he's then gone to James and what's interesting is in the space of like the last I don't know three four minutes of that finale he's saying in court i'm james then he's on the bus and all the the prisoners are calling him saul and then kim shows up unbelievably um to have one final cigarette and and one final scene and of course she calls in jimmy and so we we get all all three and yeah it's interesting to think what and who he would be and become in his in his life because there's no way he's serving 86 years in prison obviously um i would i would love a little i mean i don't know i'll jump straight to the question i wanted to ask you which is are we going to get anything more and if we do what would it be and one of the things i guess i would settle for would be uh, like an el camino feature length movie of of i don't even know what to call him this character in prison um, just to see how he's going. I, I think that would be amazing. Maybe a couple of years down the line. I I personally don't think we'll get anything. Okay. Only in the sense because I think they've given us a very kind of like quite clean and tidy kind of wrap up of this story. And just seeing some of the interviews that particularly um, Vince Gilligan has done is I think he like he's he's said himself He's got other stories and other universes that he wants to yeah. tell. And I think, you know, can you strike gold for a third time? I, I, don't, if I don't know if I would back myself to strike that gold again. And, like, like I'm sure, like, you know, there's a hundred different characters. Like, we've talked about before, like, give us the the young um, Jonathan Banks character when he becomes, when he first takes that yeah. drive and kind of his, his journey to becoming who he is and how he sort of gets tied up with with Gus but I think what kind of worked about this show is I don't think we knew how great of a character Saul Goodman mm-hmm. was when we were watching Breaking right. Bad and I don't think I I just don't know of any other characters like apart from like you know a, a Kim or someone like is there anyone different enough in this universe that has a story that needs to be told and I, I'm just not like yes like would I watch it 100% hand on heart I just I would feel nervous for them to try to like try to do this again and even though it would be good to go back to back to Jimmy and his, his life in jail I, I just don't even know if it's needed it, it's 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 kind of in a perfect spot yeah, for me I think I think you may be right I think leave it be is a good you know it's, it's the fin- as finales go I thought it was spectacular and that final shot of him just looking through you know two wire fences and 12 feet apart that's that's the price he's paid for what he's done you know it's a sad ending but it's perfect for this character because it it wouldn't have been morally right for him to survive somehow and and to get out of jail or to escape or or, or whatever and i think 
given that Jimmy or Saul or anything of his character has always been involved on both sides of the law, I think it's quite poignant and good that the law should have the last word on him and um, have him be taken because you know Breaking Bad ended with a lot of action it was you know quite exciting and intense so this is much quieter it's more subtle it's you know this whole series has always been focused on the people relationships and so I think it I think it fits for this show we didn't need a big bang type type ending but I did love that he really the the Saul character could not resist you know, as he, even as he was taking responsibility for his actions, he really wanted it to be known that Walter White would never have achieved what he did without him. You know, he really wants history to recognise that. Indeed, and I think that there was another another great twist. And I, I just think, like, and like we've got eleven seasons and a movie here. Like this, this, this is quality. Yeah. Like, and and it's not like there's no there's no filler. There's no kind of like, oh, you know, season two is a bit rough or anything. Like it's it's all. Like it's it's a perfect little package, so it's going to be one for the rewatch for years to come. Don't like to finish on a negative note, but it's my final bullet. Is um, is there anything you didn't like or would want to change? And I made a note of, of one thing I thought. Well, actually, a couple because I do find it hard to criticize this show, but I feel like not that we needed closure for Mike because we know what hap- we know is what we know what happens to him next, right? We. we we've seen Breaking Bad but I did hope we might get a little bit more of an ending because you know Gus Fring's story had ended with Lalo but Mike you know we love him it's our last chance I just thought could we have got maybe something else for him beyond the 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 flashback scene with Jimmy when they were out on the road Um, and I guess I would also say the same just briefly with Hector I felt like where did we finish up with Hector would have been something. But I guess in hindsight, maybe they they did sort of tie those stories together in the first three episodes of this second part of season six. Yeah, I, I think, again, I think because a lot of those characters have sort of real kind of full stops, like, you know, Gus Fring, there's a full yeah. stop um, for that character in Breaking Bad. Um Mike, there's a full stop for that character. Like, I don't feel as kind of like it, like it's needed. But I, I do just say again, like, I think if you there was going to be a spinoff show, or there was going to be something else. I think it is a, a you know, a, a twenty years younger Mike, which would have to be played by a different character. The the intro always has to be done by Jonathan Banks, like we've always talked about in the past. And I think it, it might not even have a, a true connection to the I guess better call soul world like it may be even that ends with him getting a job as a parking attendant uh, at, at the court like that's as close as it ever gets to it but I think for me it's I was just so happy to get a little bit more of those characters yeah. and, and yes it's always good to have more but I think there's there's a line you have to kind of draw somewhere in these um in these series. I'm being greedy um there's no show that does all the things that this show does. That's 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 the thing for me. There's no other show I can sit down and know that I'm going to get that pre-credit teaser, um, and then episodes that are just going to go right into detail where we're going to sit with Mike in a car and just watch something through binoculars for 40 minutes, and that's all we're going to get, and we're going to be happy and we're going to love it. There's no other show that's going to do that. And um, yeah, I've recently rewatched all of the seasons, so I'm I'm probably walking away from this for a while, but I know I'll be back in the future for another go-round. 
Mm. I, you know, I've just been really sort of thinking over the last few minutes, if there's anything that I would really give sort of, you know, any sort of, you know, this could be better or I wish I saw this. And just to be honest with you, nothing really comes to mind. And I think, you know, I'm so quick to kind of criticize many things, <laughs> e.g. The Walking Dead. Um, and I think this is just on such a different level. I hope, and I, I can't imagine why it wouldn't, because I know Breaking Bad has done, like I've, I've rewatched that a few times and really enjoyed it. I hope that this is a great show to continue to watch for many years. Um, yeah, and, and I imagine it'll be one of those shows too where every time you watch it, and I imagine for years to come, more and more kind of like fan theories and Easter eggs will kind of be discovered and it'll it'll just make it even better. And for anyone who thinks that we're just fanboys who are over the top here, just so you know, these episodes that we've watched, these last seven episodes, the ratings that they've got online, 9.9, 9.8, 9.4, 8.6, 9.6, 9.9. And that's with you know tens of thousands of votes it's uh yeah and this is the thing this is why i think like vince gilligan and peter gold are like they could probably do anything they want like they could probably go to any network and say i want to do a show about troll dolls and collectors and they would probably be like, let's yep. do it how much that's right know? like i'll give you a blanket. i thought vince gilligan had hit gold before when he did Battle Creek, which got cancelled after one season, I still maintain. Uh, we talked about in a podcast a long, long time ago the TV shows that were cancelled too soon. If you want a bit more Vince Gilligan, season one of Battle Creek, superb. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah. I think one thing that sometimes I have to sort of had a bit more time to sort of meditate on this is it would be interesting to kind of watch a cut together of some of all of the like a timeline cut together, like let's put, let's put all these scenes in order and all these kind of like intro starting pieces and just kind of, you know, almost to kind of see a bit of a, and that probably feels like a Blu-ray feature or something, but some sort of like special edition where you could kind of really sync up the timeline across like Breaking Bad and Medical Soul and it would be a, a wonderful thing. Because we, we've been so disciplined, which is, you know, shocking, but we you and I have not talked about this, you know, um, because of the pod, so you know, over the last few weeks we haven't said. But I did see a tweet, and I, I wish I kept it because it was really good. It was, it was done in the voice of of Mike, and he go, he's like, "This is what you're gonna do. You're gonna go away. You're gonna watch the first four seasons. Then you're gonna stop, and then you're gonna watch El Camino, and then you're gonna go to this." And he did all the episodes in order, and that was how you'd watch it in like a timeline order. And and I just Amazing. think that would be that would be the way to do a rewatch. It's the the machete cat, you yep. know. I think this will be uh, this this will be good. I, if someone has that tweet, send it our way. I, I need yep. to see this. But for now, Dan, it's all gone. Um, that is, that's what yeah, you did. did. Um, that's medical saw available on Neon here in New Zealand, and I'm going to miss talking about this show. But all good things must come to an end. Shall we uh, jump on into our movie of the week? Indeed. So every week, Dan and I take it in turns to watch a movie. We announce in our Discord community what that's going to be a week in advance so you can join in and you can find out by clicking on the show notes what it's going to be for next week. And this week, Dan, we've, uh, we've done something a little bit different. We have gone very old school, which was kind of inspired by last week's podcast episode. We've gone with the 1996 movie, The Rock. 
So this is not Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but The Rock, uh, a classic Michael Bay movie. Uh, you may remember it's got a star-studded cast. Like I actually forgot how many fantastic actors were in here. So obviously we've got Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris. We've also got John Spencer, David Morse, William Forsyth, Michael Bine. Um, it's John McGinley. It's it's so that there's something special about this movie that just kind of encapsulates the 90s for me and I think it's one of Michael Bay's probably top movies so the if you haven't seen it you can watch this on Disney plus but basically it's about uh, Nicolas Cage who plays a, a mild mannered uh, chemist and an ex-con who's played by Sean Connery and they lead a counter-strike when a rogue group of military men led by a renegade general threatened a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz San Francisco and from the very moment it starts, intense music, lots of sort of shortcuts of like, you know, like military scenes, lots of kind of like super alpha behavior. Like it's over the top. It's ridiculous. It's a lot of fun. It's it's just something very 90s. And, and Michael Bay and the music, the score, like all of it just comes together as, a, as quite a fun package. Over the top, 90s, cliche lines, action shots, the cars look horrific, the haircuts, the fashion is, is, is terrible. Honestly, the 90s has suddenly got really old and for a long time it didn't feel that long ago, but now it's instantly becoming recognisable like the 80s, is, you know, when you see an 80s movie. I can't even describe how much fun it was to watch this movie again and how much I was just smiling at everything. And I just... You know, I've recently-ish, recently-ish, of course, you know, watched all the Bond movies. And so I've sort of went through that Connery rewatch. I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed that older Connery. And I even, to take it back to a podcast that uh, you talked about a while ago, I even took the fan theory idea and went with it. So I altered my headcanon watching this movie to imagine, okay, so what if, if Connery's Bond last scene in 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. What if he was caught, you know, with the with the highest level US secrets and if his bond had been put in jail and now was being released to help with a crisis mission and so this is actually that James Bond 25 years later. And I tell you, I really felt like it worked and every line that came out where he talked about being trained by British intelligence and, you know, everything fitted the bill completely. I think too, like you've got to remember like in the 90s and 1996, we're in a real kind of like, you know, Nicolas Cage, top of his game. And, you know, there's some there's some stuff that happens where it all kind of like falls over and I think he's making a comeback now, but the world could not get enough of Nicolas Cage at this time. And I think just having him play opposite someone like Sean Connery and there, in fact, the relationship between Ed Harris, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage is kind of wonderful in a movie where you know, a lot of the dialogue is ridiculous and over the top, but they actually do have some genuine moments of kind of just kind of understanding each other's perspectives and sort of navigating this sort of complex issue where you kind of forget that you're watching a Michael Bay, let's blow everything up. Yeah, that's right, you do. I mean, as you say, there's a great support cast, but those three in particular, there's just something very special when each of them have any type of interaction. They all command each shot. Coming back to the comment you made in your intro, the music. The music 
it's a Hans Zimmer, but it's it's the music is so Michael Bay. It feels like uh, I don't know, like a like a Transformers movie or anything to do with the army or or a mm. convoy or I don't know. If you were listening to this to this music soundtrack whilst walking down the street, I feel like you'd be walking in slightly slow motion and you would almost want to give a military salute to every person you walk past and nod at them because it's just got that that feel about it. It's so it's so cliche, but it's wonderful to actually go back and experience it. It really, it really works somehow so well. One of my my favorite characters outside of the sort of the main cast is is um, Michael Wine, yes. and I think you know obviously you know we're we're big fans of, of him as an actor. Loved him in Tombstone, loved him in The Mandalorian, loved him in Terminator, and I just there's just some great scenes in this movie, like classic American scenes where stand down, I will not stand down, like it's just like yelling at each other with just the most alpha testosterone, and it's. He obviously, you know, meets his demise fairly early-ish in this movie, but I like he's he's such an awesome actor. I'm surprised he wasn't tuned into one of the the greatest action heroes. We've yeah, I, I agree, and I I actually was thinking about it because I know we've done a peak performance for him, and I actually thought this this would definitely be up there in like a definitely along the top five for me. It's a real quintessential Michael Byrne performance. You know, the Marine, sure. the face paint. Yeah, he had all of the all of the the vibes from him in Alien as a Marine combined with the combined with the Carl Reese hero vibes. He he Not was sure. top draw. William Forsyth, um, hadn't seen him in so long. He was good. Ed Harris so well cast as a military general. Um, Nicholas Cage is actually only 31 years old during this movie, but there's something about his look and the way he talks that he feels like he's mid 40s at least to me somehow. Oh, easy. I think he's someone who looks like kind of permanently in their kind of mid-40s to me and kind of surprising that he's early in his yeah. 30s. I think the one thing about Ed Harris, which I kind of appreciated about his character here, is he's kind of a bit of an anti-hero. Like, you kind of, you know, because I think Ed, Ed Harris at that time had played a lot of hero characters, and to see him play the role of a villain, but he's kind of not like a true villain. Like, he still kind of has his honour and his code, and he's not really wanting to hurt people. He's just wanting justice for those those soldiers that um, that have been lost and their families compensated. And yes, he's going about it in, in not the best way, but he, he's never, like... Like he's not full villain how you would normally think of a villain in, in a TV show. Like this. So it's almost trying to kind of like, and it's it's a Michael Bay movie, so it's, let's take it with a grain of salt. But it's almost trying to sort of you know make you kind of think about both sides of the of the coin in this situation. And it also got me thinking, just particularly it's sort of the the volatile state of America at times. And you know you often see on Twitter people talking about like civil war and you know all sorts of like this kind of is a movie that kind of feels just as relevant today as it did probably in nineteen ninety six. Oh, it, it really does. Oh my goodness, it's um, it's shocking, isn't it? When you think about what has occurred since this time, and yeah, you know, when you think about what's going on in the movie as well. But um, now Ed Harris's character, there is so much about what he. Uh, outlines as his his problem with the American sort of system and how soldiers have been treated. When you listen to him, you actually think, "Yeah, you're right. I'm with you on this. You're right." But that doesn't mean that you go take a bunch of chemical weapons over to Alcatraz and hold 81 people hostage. So those two things are out of sync. And as Sean Connery delivered beautifully when he came across and said, "Personally, I think you're an idiot." Yeah, just um, the the number of one-liners that Connery delivered in this 
movie was extraordinary. Sean Connery rolling through the furnace uh, and then dodging these um, moving parts, like something out of the Geonosis scene in, in Attack of the Clones was incredible. But that moment that he opens the door from the other side and the camera zooms in and he just says, welcome to the rock. It's it's just a perfect little soundbite and a visual of, of Connery and what I would call his second prime because, you know, I think of that, you know, that entrapment, that um, hunt for Red October. This is, this is mm. just, he's, you know, at this point in his career... I mean, who who would have thought that after this movie we'd only it'd only be six years, and after this movie, and he'd be retired because he feels like in this movie to be top of his game again. Oh yeah, I I, I agree. I think the only well, the the core I think downfall for me of this movie is it's too long, yes. and I think this is this is a Michael Bay trait. I, this needed 30 to 40 minutes shaved off it because I kind of found myself just being a bit like, ah, oh, we done yet? Like, I feel like I've, I've had I've had my good time. I'm, I'm ready to leave the party. Not only did I have the, exactly the same problem, but I've come up with a solution as well. I've figured out this solution. So this whole chase scene at the start, which was really cliche anyway, but it's the one where he's released to the Fairmont. He wants to be at the Fairmont Hotel and it's the whole scene from the Fairmont Hotel the car chase scene all the way through to meeting his daughter. They could have found a much quicker way to have him be released from prison, see his daughter and then get straight to the rock because that whole thing is about 25 minutes of just, and you know, the cars are hitting everything. They're hitting hay bales. They're hitting water bottles. It's, it's too much. Michael Bay can't do it. Michael (laughs) Bay, he is, Oh, you're going in the car. We're definitely blowing that up. You know, like the, it's just like anyone who's traveling, and it's not just like a small explosion. It's like this, this is going to go yeah. boom, you know. And it's, and it's there's almost too much of that. And I think even the scene at the start where they're obviously trying to sort of really emphasize that Nicolas Cage is really cool, calm, and collective in stressful situations dealing oh, with like yeah. nerve gas. But it's too long. Like, like we didn't in a movie that's kind of literally starts with you know kind of stealing these um, these missiles. Like it. it too much I think it needs to be trimmed down and I think no one needs a two hour 16 minute action movie no and as you say I think 20-30 minutes off of this and it would be close to perfect in terms of action movies certainly perfect in terms of 90s movies my other my other second criticism other than the that length of time was it was the blokiest movie I have ever seen, or at least in a long time. And other than two minutes of Connery's daughter and you know, maybe uh, five, ten minutes of, of Nicolas Cage's girlfriend, it's 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 way it's it's, it's oh, alpha yeah. all the whole way. It's a bit it's a bit over the top um, in that respect. I I agree with you there. Like it's 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 too much, isn't it? In fact. And it kind of got me thinking, when was the last time you kind of really saw a movie, like apart from something like The Expendables or something, where just all these kind of like uh, classic 80s, 90s, early 2000 kind of heroes and villains all just get together on on the big screen. And you could just imagine the disgusting mess that would be the after party of, of movies like this, like... Horrific. It would be too much. Hashtag me too. It, it would be it would be horrific. In fact, it's funny because the Expendables cast just about everyone who was big in the eighties and nineties, and yet it doesn't have Ed Harris, Sean Connery, or Nicolas Cage. And I think they could have. Um, part of me's glad. Part of me's glad that they they weren't a part of it. But um, 
uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have any. I think, I mean, some of the transitions were bad. Some of the stunt double were so obvious that it wasn't Sean Connery doing half these stunts. I mean, the guy, the stunt guy needs to have a, a shorter wig on. I mean, I don't know. Maybe these days they just get away with a better CGI or I don't know. But um, I don't really have too many. I just was the whole time was just laughing and smiling and just I enjoyed the movie, but I enjoyed the experience of the 90s-ness of the movie that just makes it... Um, something special yeah i i think you're right i think it, it is that 90s that kind of like it was kind of like you know like it kind of scratched the itch, right like after talking about these 90s movies it was good to go back and watch one i don't think i could do like an endless kind of like let's watch 10 90s movies like it would be too much no. for me but i think you know like to, to scatter them out every now and again is is a fun thing to do 100 if i mean if you haven't seen it before if you didn't grow up in the 90s this is one of the the best of that decade that perfectly sums it all up I, I couldn't recommend it enough what's your guns akimbo oh okay all the guns for this i just it was just great oh the I'm, I'm going oh my god in the context of a 90s movie uh i think you're right in fact how can it be the rock without the yeah, that's right. Let, let's give it all the guns <laughs> let's give it all of them yeah yep. yeah maybe we need that section on our website all the guns movies like you know when we give it a special sort of like category of um of movies to the uh the website administrator and see if that's something they can whip up. Um, but yeah, that's the, that is the rock and uh, available on Disney plus along with a whole bunch of other nineties movies. So yeah, it may be something to dive back into from time to time. Um, Dan, my pick of the week is the final season of better course. Or it may even be my pick of the year. Time will tell uh, yourself. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go with you. Like I, I really enjoyed Slow Horses, but I, I, I just can't put it above Better Call Saul. Like, it's it's too special and too meaningful to not give it that prestigious award. Very good. Um, what's going on at your news desk this week, Dan? Anything going on? All right. So what is going on? That's a great question, Paul. There, there's a bit in the news. So as often as the way with the news desk, um, start with the passing of a, an actress. Um, Anne Heche has unfortunately now passed away. She was in a a pretty bad car accident and uh yeah is no longer with us unfortunately so young as well again uh, 53 just so young unbelievable. so young like almost a, another kind of 90s actress right yeah. like in some in Six some great days, movies um but yeah then sort of faded away a little bit anyway i'm gonna i've got quite a bit of news so i'm gonna i'm just gonna rattle through sort of the core headlines i, I know we're sort of getting on for time um, Love, Death and Robots has officially been confirmed for a fourth season. So um, we don't know the date yet, but it looks like we're getting more. So that's very positive. Uh, nice. Ghost of Tsushima, there's, um, a, which was a, a PlayStation game that came out uh, a year or so ago and sort of been looked to turn into a movie. And obviously that movie, was, sorry, that game was set in kind of um, feudal Japan and they're, they're looking to potentially do the whole movie in Japanese which I think will be awesome I've, I've actually just started replaying that that video game and it's a it is a very good time um what else have we got here now this may come as a surprise it definitely came as a surprise to me the Batman you know we just watched the Batman movie Paul. oh yeah the Batman 2 has not actually been greenlit yet that's impossible and apparently it's 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 I I can't believe it how can they not have that movie greenlit. Like, someone needs to get onto this. There's no more half measures, guys. I feel like there's enough crisis going on in the DC world. I feel like this 
is all a big test. This whole everything that's going on right now with all the Michael Keaton stuff being taken off the radar, and now we may not get a second movie to one of the most extraordinary Batman movies ever. It's too much. It's too much. On the Marvel side of things, it looks like the Joker 2 could have a budget three times higher than the original. So they're estimating that it's going to cost around $150 million to produce, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips estimating to be getting about $20 million each for the project, with Lady Gaga getting $10 million payday for, the, for her role as uh, the much-rumoured Harley Quinn. Always be billing. Uh, always, like... There's nothing like a cool twenty million from doing a job. Doesn't sound like much, does right. really, in the scheme of things. But Steve Martin has recently suggested that only murders in the building could be his final role. So he's kind of talking about a a bit of a retirement, and that he's no longer going to be. You know, he's seventy six years old. He's not going to be actively looking for work after this, which I think is. What, what a great position to be in. And I think, you know, I always think, we talk about this all the time on the pod, but I don't think about people like Steve Martin getting older. I think of them as permanently the same yep. age. They've, he's been that age since Three Amigos. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, what have we got here? So it looks like Star Wars Visions is definitely going to be getting in season two, potentially with less of an anime vibe and more of sort of a, a global... Uh, sort of designed to make it a bit more appealing to a wider audience, which could be interesting, but I, I hope it doesn't lose its charm. Uh, uh, what have we got? Star Wars Rogue One is returning to theatres around the world in sort of, I guess, preparation um, for Andor, which is coming out very soon. So I think watching uh, Rogue One is a, a very good idea just to kind of get you into that Andor space, even though it is mm. set after, after Andor. And then finally, so we've got some sort of release timings for the Lord of the Rings TV show, which is coming out very soon. So starts um, around the world on the 2nd of September on Prime Video. But here in New Zealand, you'll be able to watch it from 1pm on Friday for the um, the premiere. And then following that, um, for the weekly episodes, it's going to release at 4pm, the same time as the Half Measures podcast on a Friday. They know it's prime time. They know, they know what's up. So looking forward to checking that out. That's um, There's a lot of good stuff coming. We've got Andor, we've got um, the Rings of Power. It's going to be a, an interesting kind of lead up to the, the silly season. What about you, Paul? Any news on your end? No, nothing uh, to add to, to that. I think um, you've covered it all off um, that I was going to mention. What I will do is take us across um, to our mailbag. And after all the excitement of... Um, the directors and and the cast members uh, contacting us last week um, about our review of the the war below. It was a quiet week, but as always, we do have a peak performance, which last week was of course Nicolas Cage, uh, who we've just talked about quite a bit um, with our movie of the week. So, um, a couple of our Patreon producers um, had suggestions this week. Then we had uh, Diana went with National Treasure and The Crudes. Uh, and Samara also went with National Treasure, uh, Treasure and Lord of War, which I have to admit, I haven't seen somehow Lord of War. And I look at the post and I feel like that's a movie I should have seen, but somehow it's escaped me. It's funny because I've never seen National <laughs> Treasure and much to Samara's disgust, I bring this up all the time. I'm like, I've never seen it. And for some reason, it just doesn't appeal to me as a movie, but 
I feel like because it rates so highly for people, I really should be checking Two it out. Two Patreon producers both bringing it to the table, Dan. It's got to be worth our attention. Um, we have uh, Nat from Wellington came in with a classy pick uh, of Bad Lieutenant, which um, uh, I always remember because it was directed by our favourite Imperial officer from The Mandalorian, uh, Werner Herzog, um, was the director of that Bad Lieutenant, um, old Nick Cage movie. Uh, our good friend uh, Michael from the fine state of North Carolina uh, gave us a three, two, one of knowing um, adaptation and peak performance of Mandy. Um, so some deep cut uh, Nicholas Cage picks there. And the man who can potentially watch more movies than any other listener, Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast, gave us his three, two, one Kickass Con Air. And number one peak performance for him, funny enough, was in fact The Rock. Um, and he also gave an honourable mention for Nick Gage's appearance on the Terry Wogan Irish chat show, where he comes on stage, he cartwheels onto the stage, he does karate kicks, and then he throws wads of cash, actual money, into the audience. Honestly, it's worth Googling Nicholas Cage, Terry Wogan, just to watch it. <laughs> That's the mailbag this week. That sounds like peak Nicholas Cage. It it's all the things. Shall we uh, jump on over to the mailbag? Yes, indeed. So, like movie... Sorry, not I know what you mean. I know That's... what you mean. I was going with it anyway. Uh, yeah, peak performance. The peak the performance. Peak performance slot. Yeah, peak so uh, weekly dive into Hollywood, looking at someone's career and saying, what have they done best? Uh, this week, Dan, it was my choice. And I put Tony Collette up for the peak performance this week. What have you got for me? All right. So for honourable mention, I've actually gone with a, a TV show. Probably a little bit of recency here, but the the 2019 uh, miniseries Unbelievable, where Tony Collette plays uh, Detective Grace Rasmussen. Rasmussen. Is that how you say her name? I. Rasmussen. There you go. We got there in the end. Um, and this is just a, an incredible. Um, TV show where she plays a, a detective helping this young girl kind of um, bring her case to light and bring all the, the facts and evidence and I think Tony Collette always plays a a, a a wonderful kind of like hard-edged um, character with kind of this this loving side that that doesn't like it kind of takes time to come out and I think this TV show uh, in particular, she she does a wonderful job. You really kind of believe her as, as a detective, and particularly as an Australian actress as well. I think she does a really good job of, of making you believe that she's that she's American. But my peak performance for Tony Collette is actually going to be for her role in the 2018 horror movie Hereditary. So I don't know if you've seen this movie, Paul. Is this one no. that's on your? This is genuinely one of those like terrifying movies and one of those movies that kind of really sits with you where, you know, a whole bunch of kind of like dark and mysterious stuff kind of sits with you for a long time and you have to percolate on. But again, like Tony Collette plays this this mother figure who's kind of like haunted by her past. There's all sorts of um, dark arts kind of in, in the background. You're constantly kind of wondering what the sort of the, the premise of this world that she kind of lives in. And again, I think she just does such a, a wonderful job of taking it on the sort of emotional journey of, of who she is as a as a character. So for me, unbelievable. You can watch that on Netflix. And then the movie Hereditary. That Hereditary looks absolutely terrifying just from the photographs, actually, to be fair. so um, And it's quite recent. So I'll add that in. I like the sound of, of that. 
I am. Um, it's interesting that I put Tony Clare up for peak performance because I'll be completely honest and upfront, whether it's well received or not, I don't know. But Tony Clare's not someone who was particularly on my radar at all to watch. I've probably over like the last twenty odd years, to be honest. Just I don't know why. And yet, in the last three years, she has had roles that have really made me take notice. And so that's where my um, where my peak performance is. This for this um for this week and so the honorable mention goes uh, to her role as kathleen in the staircase um and this is not just because of recency um she was really good and just was in the series a lot more than you might anticipate because so much of it was flashbacks to the past and because no one as i said last week really knows what happened in this case with michael peterson she has to play various versions of possible truths about her character and and her death and she was just really really good throughout and was just superb chemistry opposite michael uh, opposite michael opposite uh, colin first as michael peterson just so just a really good performance so that's the honorable mention for me but for me the peak performance is um as you've already talked about as detective grace Rasmussen in 2019's Unbelievable, um, which I think was uh, number three in my top 10 TV shows for 2019 in our first ever podcast. And it's, it's stuck with me ever since I watched it. Such a powerful series. Um, I thought she was great. And as you said, hard edge, that loving side, but you, you really believe it. So yeah, that is on my choices. It's funny because I feel like I've been on a real journey with Tony Collette and I remember just sort of looking back in her IMDb profile, one of the first movies I ever saw her in was Muriel's Wedding and it was quite a, a big movie I feel like in New Zealand because I won, it's almost sort of like an Australian movie and I remember going to the movies to see it with my friends and it was almost kind of a bit of a weird choice but it, it had some real kind of classic ABBA music in it at the time and it was it was p- quite popular uh, in, in the early 90s and I think since then she's kind of I've always kind of had a, like a, an eye on her career to sort of see where she's sort of gone to next and I think you're right she's kind of a, an interesting character that pops up every now and again in different TV shows and movies yeah, really really good of late for me so she's definitely one I'll be keeping an eye out for which is why I wrote down Hereditary because that appeals it's look I think if you can watch uh, The Conjuring or the conjuring, then you can definitely watch Hereditary. It's a, I, it's ultimately a, like it's one of those movies you know, like where you kind of like you need to watch yep. it. And I think don't watch the trailer. Go in as blind as you can, and it's 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 good. Very good. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of a, another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. Yes, indeed. Thank you for listening in this week. Um, get in touch if you've got a peak performance for Tony Collette. Or if you want to let us know what you thought about the end to this Breaking Bad universe or whether you're thinking of jumping on board based on our review, get in touch on our website or on our social media. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, and Diana Kanawa. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios. Adios.